completes your death sentence for this week. Uh, I'm on the line uh, with Richard Chim. He's a writer out of Seattle, Washington, USA. And he's next week, I believe it's next week, uh, his new book's going to come out. It's called King of Joy. It's on Soft Skull, who very, very consistently put out really good stuff. It's been blurbed by, I mean, you're going to have to, I'm probably going to forget some really big names, but Melissa Broder, who did Pisces, So Sad Today, she's great. Uh, El Nash, who we had on the show. Uh, let's see, there were some other ones. Um, Alyssa Nutting, uh, who I talked about way, way, way when this show started. I didn't even have a good microphone. <laughs> Audio quality in that was abysmal. I, I don't recommend anyone listen to my early shows. Uh, but yeah, and I've read it. Um, Soft Skull, nice enough to wing me a, a copy along, and it is so fucking good. So, oh, shit. Thanks yeah. so much, man. Yeah, I wasn't like going to ambush you by saying, like, it's a piece of shit. I'm going to make you answer for it over the next I, hour. I was like, ready for that, too. <laughs> <laughs> who, who would do that? Would anyone, like, even if I did think it was a piece of shit, and I, and I don't, but I, I would, I pretend not to. Yeah, I wouldn't. It would, it would spicy up the podcast game for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh. I, yeah, I, I don't think I've got enough, uh, confidence in myself to it, <laughs> to deliver that much tea to uh to you all i guess or the listeners at home well i believe in you man well <laughs> and thank you so much for um for having me on i'm, I'm really grateful no yeah, no problem so um before we get into the book itself let's just talk about you a bit because this is your your second work it's your first novel second publication yeah, and you got a ton of short stories out there as well in cool places. So, but uh, tell me about yourself because your biography is uh, basically just writer Seattle. Here's some books. But what, <laughs> yeah, what here's you, some books. Word. Yeah, what, what is what do you where do you come from? What do you what do you do? Uh, you know, who who are you as a person? Yeah, man. Um, again, thanks again for having me on. Um, uh, the quick bio I always tell people is um, I was born in Chinatown, L.A. And then my folks and I, we I was primarily raised in Vancouver, Washington from like age three to like 14. And then my parents got a divorce. Um, and then I moved with my father and two of my siblings to San Bernardino, California. And that's like where I went to high school. So that's kind of where I always tell people I was raised, um, in San Bernardino. And then uh, I went to high school at the University of California, San Diego, um, where I took writing classes there, became a writing major, um, dropped out around 2010. I think I worked in like movie theaters for like seven years, overlapping just writing, um, mm -hmm. Moved it to Seattle in 2011, roughly before my first book came out, and then I've been in Seattle since. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's kind of me on a just been kind of up and down the West Coast. Cool. I've never been to San Bernardino. I just know a bit of LA and San Diego. But what's uh, what's it like to grow up in? You know, it was um, it was a uh, because I moved there when my parents were getting a divorce. I was like pretty depressed my first couple of years there. But it's um. I know I love growing up there. I would say 
um, I kind of developed who I was there. It's like, I think it's the biggest desert in the United States, um, just county-wise. Um, but we had really hot summers. Um, like, I think one summer it, it hit like 120 degrees there. Ouch. Um, yeah. It was actually pretty fun. Like, um, I would hang out with friends in high school and we would hit each other up like past 10 p.m. when it would like dip down to maybe 90 degrees, maybe. And then that's when we would all kind of hang out. But it was a lot of, you know, a lot of time in cars and a lot of like, um, those are also like my emo days. So going a lot of like emo concerts and whatever, but it was fun. Though. Yeah, I noticed the Elliot Smith reference in this. That's oh, yeah. Sure. Good choice. Yeah, shout so, out Elliot Smith. Yeah. Got you, got you right here. I'm, I'm tapping my heart. Um, so, so you're in Seattle. Uh, what, what's that town like for, for a writer? You know, I moved here uh, in 2011, um, and there was already a pretty, really vibrant writing community when I moved here. I would say it's only like kind of grown since then. Um, it's kind of, I think, like any possibly every like kind of major city that has like these kind of developing literary scenes or vibrant ones. Um, I've noticed that Seattle has been pretty warm and welcoming. Um, it has changed since I've been here. It has kind of morphed in different phases, but I like it. I mean, I feel very loved here and I feel like I have like a community and folks that I kind of kind of turn to and see at events and you see friends show up and it's also really cool to see, um, friends develop projects over time and seeing how they develop and i'm lucky to say i'm like really honored to know some really genius people and they're doing great work here um but you know there's pros and cons uh i think there's a lot of money here and a lot of tech money and um sometimes that puts a strain on the well one on the social justice community and also like the literature or arts community in general and but that tension is something I'm kind of interested in as well. But Seattle's cool. Really dope. Definitely cool. my home. So whenabouts did you really start writing? Was that in college? And what what kind of stuff were you doing? Yeah, I would say so. I would say I actually started in San Diego, I think, as a psych major. I think I took one writing class just to try it out and was um, really uh, sucked in. I think I was actually with... Um, poet Ray Armantrout, who um, she won the Pulitzer in 2010, I believe, or 2009, one of those years. And cool. She was like the head of the, I think the head of the entire writing department, but I took a class with her and just uh, kind of fell in love with the process. And then um, I was also lucky in that UCSD had a very wonderful department at that time. Oh, they probably still do. I don't know who's the faculty now, but when I was there, it was Ray Armachow, uh, it was Eileen Miles, uh, Sarah Bynum, uh, Anna Joy Springer. Um, I think at one point also Chris Krauss and Fanny Howe. Wow. So I was just, yeah, really just introduced to a lot of like uh, incredible writers, experimental, and kind of led me to like incredible branches of like what was possible in fiction. Um, but I think it was like then that I kind of got started with. Um, whatever my writing career was and started getting interested in my own projects and yeah I would say it started like in college right when I was about 19 20 or so cool. so who are you reading back then 
like who kind of inspired you in those early days? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, you know, I had a very, Fanny Howe was very pivotal. Um, I took a course with her and thought she was uh, just incredible. Um, her prose was something I was really interested in where I thought it was very, on a sentence level, just everything was so crisp and had so much meaning and heartbreaking. Um, it almost read like poetry, which makes sense because she's also an incredible poet. Um, but there's also so much that she gets she gets across so much in such a short economy of words. And, and just a lovely woman. Like, I remember when we had class, I think she had cookies at the beginning of, like, every class. And <laughs> I just felt, um, yeah, felt very seen by her, too. Um, I felt lucky that we, very early on, she, like, helped me with my prose and kind of helped figure out who I was. I think she told me early on that actually really affected me early on. I was like, um, she told me something like, I can tell that you really love your characters. And then I think just having someone tell you that out loud, especially someone who's like a master, was something that I really took with me and thought that was really cool, like a little gem of truth. Mm. Um, but I was reading her. I was also reading um, Jesse Ball back then because uh, I was really interested in how he finished books really quickly. Um, Raymond Carver. I discovered early or around that time, which I thought was, I hadn't read him before college. Um, and uh, the writer, Ali Liebgott, recommended him on a syllabus. She wrote um, the IHOP papers and uh, Beautifully Worthless, also an incredible writer in her own right. And her syllabus was really a life changer for me. It was like Raven Carver and Carson, uh, Allison Bechdel, I kind of just had, yeah, very formative years at UCSD. Cool. And so was that like the point where you thought, okay, I can do I can do this professionally? I can be a writer? I think so. I don't know why. I think it's because, you know, when you're like, I think you're pretty much still a baby when you're like 18, 19, or 20. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, for sure. And then I think there's something in those like years. And I found folks that were just as, eager i think to kind of and craving with whatever background they may have uh for like some kind of identity especially an identity that can kind of carve and uh discipline for themselves and yeah i for some reason or another i took myself very seriously early on and wanted to be a writer and i guess just wanted to kind of figure out how to do that without really I don't want to say without thinking about it because it was definitely a conscious decision, but um, mm -hmm. kind of 10 years into it, it's very interesting to, um, yeah. I think it was just uh, something I wanted to do early on that I, because I really enjoyed it and recognized that I couldn't live life without it, that I was some kind of lifer. <laughs> cool. Good way of describing it. And Thanks. so, so uh, after the, so after college, you're putting together you know, short stories, getting them out there, getting them published in some very cool magazines. Right. And um, so how did you, your first um, published, big published work, um, I've, got, I've got forgotten the name now. Uh, the Book of Short Stories? Yes, that was. Uh, you, it's called uh, You Private Person. 
That's right, yeah. What did I forget? I did, did like hours of research on you and forgot the name of your first short story collection. Wonderful. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, you private person. How did that come about? And uh, what's. I haven't actually read it, but from what I understand, it's interlinked short stories. Or am I, am I getting that right? <laughs> I think so, yeah. It's really fun. So, um, let's see. I was just about to move to Seattle, I believe. Uh, I was working at like independent movie theaters. Um, I was kind of writing while working at movie theaters. Um, like you said, kind of getting them published sporadically throughout like really dope small press or online journals. Hmm. And um, I was actually uh, moving from San Diego or La Jolla to Seattle. And um, I think I was actually getting that manuscript rejected like everywhere. Um, and then I think the month before I moved, I got the acceptance from Scrambler Books. Um, yeah, they are interlinked short stories in that, you know, a lot of those short stories I wrote when I was like 19, 20, 21. So really kind of just kind of figure out my shit of, who, of what I wanted to do in fiction, writing, and also kind of figure out who I was as a person. So um, mm-hmm. I think they feel interlinked because of how um, raw that time period is. But I've actually had some people approach me that have told me that they think it's a novel and not a book of short stories. And um, I will kind of see what they mean, but I definitely didn't intend it to be a novel, but yeah, um, it was published by Scramble Books in 2012, and then it was um, it went out of print, and then it was then republished by Sorry House Classics in 2017. Cool. And it's still still with them. You can still get it. I think it's still on Amazon with them. You know, I think it's also out of print with them currently, but I'm not too sure. I think the last time you, I checked, which wasn't, which was quite a bit ago actually, um, they were out of print. Okay, but King of Joy is definitely going to be in print. It's definitely coming yeah. out, so that's good. Okay. So, yeah, what, so how did you get come... Uh, what was the like, time between finishing your private person and starting King of Joy like? Had you already like kind of figured it out? Is it... Um, you know, um, where were you in your life at that point? Because we're going to go yeah. into the book itself later, but it's pretty emotionally raw. I think you're... You'll agree. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, saying, I appreciate that. So, um, yeah, what, what was what was your life like at, at this point? You know, I think I wrote the novel, and also, thank you so much for saying that, man. I appreciate you. <laughs> no problem. Uh, but uh, yeah, after YPP was published, you know, I was in actually a good spot. Um, I just moved to Seattle um, to actually be with my um, then wife. Um, you know, we had a long distance relationship, moved here, so I was feeling great to kind of start out um, our venture together here in Seattle with her. Um, and I think I would have to say King of Joy probably tackled themes of my depression when I was still living in San Diego or La Jolla. Um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a depressed person. I would call myself like a sad person, but I'm definitely... I've worked through um, some issues and some things within myself in the past 10 years. I'm still a sad person, but definitely more depressed 10 years ago. Um, And I think in writing the book, I was kind of working on some of those demons and also kind of working with some of the elements of the surreal to 
not quite making the book entertaining, but making the book staggering in a sense for the reader that um, there is some kind of effect at the end. And um, mm. but yeah, it was uh, actually the start or the genesis of the book was. I believe I just started watching. I watched the movie Spring Breakers that Harmony Korine. <laughs> I, uh, I, just I like, know I've never seen it, but uh... <laughs> yeah, a lot of people like know. Like I didn't watch it in theaters. I think I just watched it, um, like on DVD or something. And I was so stimulated by that movie. I was working on a different novel that I was like ten thousand words in, and then I just wrote the first scene, which is just Corvus watching Amber burn out a tree and um king of joy and then i then i wrote the then i stopped working on the novel i was working on to kind of work on king of joy um and that just really happened because i watched spring breakers one night and just felt kind of uh possessed to do this one particular scene because uh, all the way through it while i was reading it especially towards the the start uh, i was i was always thinking of david lynch that oh, was totally, what, yeah uh, yeah, that was. I don't know if he's like a big, like one of your guys, but um, <laughs> that was like his his stuff, like um, Lost Highway, uh, mm-hmm. Mulholland Drive, mm-hmm. even Inland Empire. That God knows what that's even about. But the kind <laughs> of a, the the feeling you get when you see those like uh, late period Lynch movies, rather than like Twin Peaks or Razorhead or something. Word. That, no, I appreciate yeah, that. That that kind of feeling that you get watching them and the kind of aesthetic that kind of was what i was feeling at the like particularly around the early parts of of the novel uh but well, um thank you that's really that's really great praise um yeah, well i the, think the here's spring breakers is weird <laughs> <laughs> i i haven't seen that but um i i, I and i know i know yeah I, okay i'll check it out tonight and i'll, I'll like maybe tack on a, a commentary where i go like yeah, I didn't it's see fun. that at all. It's fun, um, man, for sure. No, yeah. I think uh, I appreciate that comparison. Um, you know, working at a movie theater for like seven years, I'm definitely like a big movie geek. I'm definitely a... I love Lynch. Um, I'm a, I think, if anything, I'm more of like a Cronenberg fan. Mm-hmm. Like David yeah. Cronenberg. Um, I'm not sure what directs... You know, I mentioned Jesse Ball earlier, and I think... Um, some folks have also compared his writing or have called his writing to be like Lynchian or something, or I think, mm. um, but I don't know. I think part of that is due to like, I like the kind of the, the suddenness of the sentence, um, and what that can do. I actually like to watch a lot of films or movies or TV shows and I try to like translate what I see on screen into prose, whatever that mm. means, um like translating image or scene or movement into atmosphere and tone in prose or cadence in prose. I think it's like a fun, uh, fun exercise to do. Uh, but yeah, I'm definitely like just as much as I'm influenced by uh, hundreds and hundreds of books, I'm definitely influenced by so many movies. Cool. So we'll get into King of Joy, like deep dive into it in the next part of the, the episode. But uh, as um, we also need to drive away all the listeners who came here thinking they would see some serious literary discuss- discussion. <laughs> so I'm going to play some uh, Swedish doom metal at you all. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. This is Candlemas. Uh, they 
come back after a long hiatus. They've got their original singer from like the early 90s back. Uh, they've got fucking uh, Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath playing on this particular song I'm going to play. Oh, it's called uh, Astralis, the Great Octopus. Because metal is dumb as hell, that's why we love it. And um, yeah, it's just some trad doom silliness. It's just a, a silly song. <laughs> and um, that's why that's why it's so good. That's why you should check it out. And it's on their new album called The Door to Doom. Because these guys are really good at naming albums. Because, you know, they released something called Epicus Doomicus Metallius. Which is <laughs> wow, just that's so, it's so stupid. That's why it's so great. It's like someone guessed what Latin could be. So, um, yeah, we're going to play, play some of that and come back and talk to Richard a bit more about King of Joy. Uh, here's Candlemas.
Next up was Candlemas with Astralis the Great Octopus. Yeah, and it was silly, wasn't it? It was really dumb. So that's why it's so good. Uh, we're gonna play another song that's kind of that's kind of like the the more uh, arty, legit side of where metal is right now. At the end of the show, uh, we're gonna play Violet Cold from Azerbaijan, possibly. And um, so there's there's a nice little uh, little juxtaposition of dumb leather jacket and denim, everything else metal with you know the the more progressive style. But speaking of progressive, uh, King of Joy. So yeah, I read this literally yesterday in about four hours. I don't think I've I've read anything as quickly. That hasn't been like something incredibly stupid. Like I don't know, like, <laughs> like uh, oh, do, do you ever remember those um, Christian apocalypse books, uh, Left Behind? I, I read them in like a, I read like five of them in about a day. Oh man, so, I've never read them, but I used to work at a Barnes and Noble, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, you would have seen some really weird characters behind those books, but um, <laughs> I did. Yeah, and uh, Stieg Larsson as well. I, I read him really quickly, but uh, yeah, oh, I, yeah, I read. I was working at a movie theater when the those those films came out, and we had to sell the the books at like the counter, and so I was like just reading the the little theater copy. Yeah, I'm sure you read it really quickly because it's one of those books you can just like just breeze through sure. like a, a like an hour. But yeah, um, very compelling. Yeah, and I kind of got an entirely different experience um, reading King of Joy because it couldn't be more different. But um, I read it really quickly, and that doesn't happen often because I've got ADD up the wazoo and I'm usually <laughs> be on Twitter. But um, yeah, and so just in your own words, what what is King of Joy about? What what? Give me just a, the synopsis, so we can we can go from there. Sure. Um, so King of Joy is about a woman named Corvus. Um, I guess it kind of tracks her. Uh, not I wouldn't say her entire life, but uh, she's kind of had a hard. Or she's had a hard upbringing. Um, and I guess that what it says on the back of the book is that she, um, because she's had a heartbreak upbringing, she is really good at coping mechanisms and kind of, you know, surviving the situation. Um, and the book is about essentially her going through, um, a very great moment of trauma, grief in her life and how she, kind of reclaims herself or gets through her grief. Um, and she kind of, uh, her journey kind of leads her through like this uh, very strange underground uh, porn student in the woods. And the book does end in like spoiler alert, but like a hippo attack at the end. Yeah, the, there's literally hippo attack. Hippos yeah. are incredibly they're, dangerous animals. No, they're, so, uh, they're incredible, incredible creatures. But yeah, they're very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, um, the third most dangerous animal in Africa after humans and mosquitoes. I did oh, wow. some research on that one. Um, <laughs> so humans so, are the top ones? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, no, I think mosquitoes are the top ones. Oh, they are? Damn. Yeah, malaria. Mal so, right. That's a killer. Yeah. 
So uh, then dead humans, obviously. Then um, jerks. Then uh, hippopotamuses. Hippopotamuses are quite far behind. You know, there's people know to stay away from. <laughs> they're the trying. They're, they're catching them. Yeah, I mean, they're they're very dangerous animals and fucking huge, and they smell terrible, even though they spend all day in water. Whoa, man! Whoa, those are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw one of the zoos. Horrible! They did this like the they smell bad. The... I don't think they yeah. smell that bad. Okay, I mean it was like in a hippo enclosure, but uh, <laughs> yeah. it smelled pretty bad. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm probably too but, sensitive. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of animals in this book, like a lot. Uh, yeah. One, obviously, um, the main character is named Corvus, which is Latin for crow um, or raven, or the Sub, this subspecies of you know, Latin uh, as a, a, a dog who is pretty much a pretty significant character. Uh, yeah, and there's just random animals. Well, probably not random because you know it's a thematic thing. There's a lot of animals throughout the book. Yeah. What? Why? Why so many animals? I, I was trying to pass this myself, but what was <laughs> uh, what was your idea with the the sheer amount of animals in this? You know, I was thinking, um, especially with someone who kind of like grew up as like a sad person or as a depressed person, um, I've kind of had a, a, without actually really ever wanting to, uh, like consciously, it's just something that kind of has happened and it's a quite a delight for me. Um, but, you know, to the, I think it's an honor when you get like accepted by like an animal or, um, when like an animal likes you or chooses to mm. like you, I wouldn't say like I'm an animal whisper per se, but I've always noticed that when that moment happens, when you know, like a dog comes up to you or a cat. Actually, speaking of the zoo, um, I used to go to the Seattle, um, the Willem Park Zoo here specifically to see this panda cow because every time I would come see this cow, the cow would just approach me from the bar back in the enclosure and i thought it was like the sweetest thing but that's like you i know right i fucking love cows but um <laughs> why is there a cow in a zoo though it's like it's like part of exotic. like you know the you know there's like a section for like domestic you know it's like oh it's like a, there's like a little mini farm kind of thing right and it's like a petting zoo, right, too. Right. Petting okay. zoo within the big zoo um it's like a funky part of the zoo for sure i feel you but <laughs> the cow is the cow's no longer there, but um, I remember those visits quite fondly. Um, but yeah, I introduced a lot of, I guess, animals in the book because um, also not very consciously. I think it's because uh, they provide some kind of uh, safe guide um, to the story. And um, yeah, I think Corvus herself is a uh, animal whisper. I think animals do kind of gravitate towards her and they can kind of get I think animals do have this special kind of telepathy where they can sense what you're feeling and what you're feeling right away and I don't know there's something about that communication that I think is very special that um, was very kind of uh, inherent in this story and very vital but um well, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that, too. Uh, I really enjoyed writing them. Um, I actually took the name Corvus from... Um, there's a novel that I really, really love um, called 
The Quick and the Dead by Joy Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No. yeah, there's a character in that book also called Corvus that I was, when I first read that book, was very like, I thought she was the saddest character I've ever read. Um, and so the the name, my Corvus kind of gives homage to that character in that book. Cool. Okay, yeah, I, I wouldn't have guessed that first. But, um, so going from like uh, cute stuff, i.e. animals, to kind of dark and grimy stuff. So yeah. the... Um, because there's a lot of dark and grimy stuff in the book. <laughs> Thank you. I think you'll agree there. Um, <laughs> totally. So, yeah. So Corvus, um, after a, a tragedy in her life, goes to work with a, yeah, like I say, a very a creepy pornographer named Tim. Yes. Uh, he's got some sort of weird studio out in in the woods, mm. and um, yeah, it's and things escalate. Is uh, this non-spoiler way to, to say it? It's yes. uh, yeah, it gets darker and creepier and, and weirder. Um, so I don't know how to quite phrase this question, but uh, so I'm just gonna say it outright. What what is your like experience with and feelings about porn? Because the the like uh, the the pornography studio in the book didn't seem like one in real life. I think that was kind of intentional, you know. It didn't seem right. like you were talking about like I don't even know anymore what studios are like someplace in San Fernando Valley. But, um, right, it's not your traditional porn studio for sure. Oh no, it's not very much so. So yeah, I. So what what was the like why why porno in this and what <laughs> what is uh what was the what was your feelings about it and what uh. Yeah. Um, you know, I knew writing this book, this question was going to come. Why porno? Hmm. It's a great question, right? Why porno? <laughs> That's what I ask myself it, every night. It's a great two-word question. <laughs> um, well, I I want to say first that this book is definitely fiction, uh, for hmm. whatever whatever that means. Um, it's not your traditional porn scene like you write. Um, my views on porn... Um, I also want to say like there's no like I'm definitely an advocate for sex workers rights and I don't think that those politics are discussed in this book at all but um, I do think this is definitely a novel about grief and about a very strange particular kind of depression that comes from a very special kind of sudden loss or I don't know saying sudden loss is any kind of spoiler too but Definitely a big loss, a great loss. I definitely had a, a chorus. Well, all the characters in the book are essentially me. Um, chorus is definitely me. And I definitely experienced some kind of, not quite a great loss just like her, but experienced a grief so large that I really didn't know what to do myself. And I did kind of um, tumble into a lot of um, behavior. Uh, mostly like uh, uh, drugs and sex. Um, so I think I wanted a narrative that can kind of like embody and kind of track um, strange decisions. Because I do believe we find ourselves in strange places when we are grieving or when we are going through a strange kind of oblivion. Um, that may not be 
the best decisions for us and we do kind of manage our ways through them and i think those details in those environments are very um profound in which that once we do survive them um but you know to the question of like why porno i um i think i wanted a character that would do something that was kind of that she didn't need to explain to anyone not even herself but um, and she needed to kind of go through it to kind of get through this very dark tunnel of whatever her loss um, essentially became imbued to be. But, but yeah, I thought it would be an interesting landscape. Also, an answer to that question is I thought it would be very challenging for me to do that, and um, I wanted to kind of figure out how to make a one, a strong character and also a good emotional narrative within that kind of weird pivot or bent of having it be um, essentially a novel about a woman that does porn. Um, mm -hmm. It's obviously much bigger than that. And I like that weird uh, pivot. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think a dumb person could read this and think you were being like sex worker negative by seeing like all women in porno are there because they have some sort of tragic background and they're broken people but oh, um, yeah that's that's a very shallow and facile kind of reading of what's going on here right i, I think that's a, also because... why i mentioned in the beginning that this is definitely not um a traditional porn studio <laughs> yeah it's it's yeah, it, it's in no way, like, the, the people on Pornhub, for example, are not anywhere near this uh, Tim's <laughs> studio. Yeah, the, Those are, like... Yeah, the, the economy of whatever is happening in this book, right. Yeah, it, it's not anything like that. It's like, those are, like, professional women doing a job, and they deserve our support and respect and money. But, Definitely um, do. They deserve more of it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that that's... Because when I, when I read books, I kind of, because I know I'm having to talk about them in this environment, I kind of have to anticipate what what are what are some really like stupid takes people could have about this book. Oh, for sure. And um, I think that's I'm like that's, ready for those too. Yeah, so I want to prep you. I'm like, I'm like your coach here. I'm getting you ready for the big time. <laughs> oh, for sure. And um, so stupid take two is you're a guy and your protagonist is a woman. What? Right. So, <laughs> so, um, yeah, how do you, and reading this, I wasn't ever, I didn't ever feel like you'd, and admittedly reading it from a cis male perspective, I didn't feel that you had written the, uh, the female characters badly at all. There wasn't, you know, they're not always talking about their boobs, for example, you know, like men writing women cliche. Yeah, uh, I don't think boobs have even mentioned this book, which is weird for a book with one porno in it. But um, you know, I have to check if the word boob is ever in there. <laughs> yeah, or, or I don't know actually. Titties or yah yahs or you know, you have to just definitely. Uh, I'm definitely no yah, no yah yahs or Um, but uh, yeah. So yeah, how how do you? Uh, firstly, why why choose to write this story through a female perspective? But particularly given, as like you said, it's it's quite fairly autobiographical. I mean, she yeah. works in a uh, movie theater for one. Yeah. And two, how do you 
how do you stop yourself from writing about from a female perspective in the kind of bad way that we we know about from fiction right um that's a really good question uh well i think what's that something i like something i tell my students uh when i teach sometimes is i think time magazine had like a the top 10 i think american books of all time or books of all time or something like that and i think only i think this is like four or five six years ago or something and I think only one uh, woman made that list. It was uh, Flannery O'Connor, which mm-hmm. one? I think that's well. I think that's fucking stupid that only yep. one woman made the list. Flannery O'Connor is tight, but I don't, I don't know. Like we talked earlier about kind of like what started me with writing or who I kind of read early. Um, I would say it's been, especially early on, it's been predominantly women. Um, yeah, it sounded like it. I know just when you were talking about your students and no, student professors and your influences are mainly female yeah and they've been very powerful influence um not only to me but just how i approach prose and how i read books um or what i consider to be um serious staggering work um i think the simple answer to that question is i think i wanted to write something not boring um i think i get bored with some of the narratives we have i bring up the time magazine thing is uh i get really self-conscious actually about what i think is if i read enough of what i think is the canon or what the classics are and um i think for me being a cis male um able-bodied cis cis male um it's part of my responsibility too just at least question the narratives i kind of put out there and uh from what perspectives am I answering the right questions? Um, you know, those get into very complicated realms, but I do think as a writer, I need, at least personally, need to ask myself those very valuable questions. I do know that natives that I usually uh, tr- become drawn towards, uh, especially we brought up film earlier. Um, I'm a big fan of Hayao Miyazaki. Um, mm-hmm. Damn right. His, Hell yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm glad you're a fan as well. But oh, his, big time, yeah. His um, films or his narratives also kind of bent with, like, usually with a very strong uh, female protagonist, usually going through, you know, a very special kind of journey that kind of seems both timeless and individual and intimate. And, um, yeah, I mean, I do have stories now that I are from perspective of, like, um, male characters or you know non-binary folks but but the question of like the big question of like why did i do it or how um the how it's hard for me to answer i think i just write people like i think people are and like i said i think all the characters are me so i just write i write the female characters exactly how i would write me um but i think there are questions to be asked about um, I definitely don't live the same kind of life as um, other folks with different identities. And I think it's always good to ask those questions when you're bringing about those identities, even in fiction. Um, because I think folks read, they read fiction for to kind of get a special kind of truth without being too like cliche or corny about that. But um, that's one of the reasons why I think this book was also really hard for me to write was um, I definitely asked myself those questions and, needed to make sure whatever I made or put on the page was 
answering to the the ether of that truth. Um, but yeah, I it was it was a narrative that I thought was compelling and wanted to uh, craft and illustrate. And um, yeah, I think that's the simple answer to that. I wanted to write a compelling story. Hmm. Yeah, no, I can I can I can feel it, and it is a compelling story. So mission accomplished on that one. Thanks. Um, so, what are you, what are you doing next? What's uh, what's coming up for you? Are you working on new novels, new short stories, teaching, book tours? A little, a little bit of everything. Like, um, I'm actually going on tour pretty soon. The book drops on March 5th, um, which is really soon. I'm actually like pretty. It's kind of hitting me quite recently. Um, I'm actually probably been nervous during our talk because I'm like, like the that date is really pending, so I'm more nervous than usual. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm working on two books currently. Um, another book of short stories that feels really good. Uh, the the tentative title to that is called "Mess You Up," mm-hmm. and then nice. I'm working on another novel um, called "Cave Me In," also like a tentative title. Um, and yeah, I'm teaching sporadically, both in Seattle and online, both at Hugo House and for Catapult. And, oh, um, yeah, uh, Catapult. Yeah, Catapult. It's oh, uh, weird, I'm currently resting my hand on a Catapult book right now. Oh, no. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> what book is it? Uh, Mrs. Engels by Gavin McRae. Uh, oh, dope, dope. We, had, we went to, uh, did a master's degree together, and this is his first novel. It's really fucking good. Read Jail 7. Oh, awesome. But, uh, I need to read that. Yeah, it's really good. Um, so, yeah. So, what, can you give us any tantalizing hints as to what uh, Cave Me In is about? Yeah, it's um, you know, it's definitely not done yet. I'm definitely in draft mode. But um, good news is I really like writing it so far. It's about um, two women, uh, Sarah Cush and Chloe Battles, and um. Well, I'm kind of still sussing out the main, uh, uh, I guess, what the main plot is. But it's definitely about those two women. And uh, it's a special focus on Sarah, Sarah Cush and her. Um, it's essentially a revenge novel. Cool. Like that. Like revenge novels and revenge yeah. in general. It's challenging, but I think it's going to be fun. Or it's been fun so far. Cool. And speaking of Kush, uh, the, seri- the sheer amount of marijuana smokes <laughs> in this book is... Uh, if you were tra- going to try and do that, that thing that some people do with movies where like take a drink every time a character has a drink, <laughs> if you did that in this book, you'd be dead easily within oh, the man, first I few hope, chapters. I hope... Thank you so much for suggesting. I hope people do that. <laughs> No, you don't. You'd be like you'd be on TV as like the killer death weed book. <laughs> killer yeah. death weed. Wow, that's like a great subtitle. Yeah, like, yeah. You'd, you'd be notorious. It'd be like you know, back in the eighties when people saying that ACDC was trying to kill people with their reverse messages in music. You'd mm-hmm. be you'd be that guy. <laughs> you don't want that. But uh, yeah, seriously, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of marijuana smokes in this book, like every few pages or something so uh 
So just to cap off the episode, because on the occasion talk about uh, smoking of marijuana on this ep- on this um, podcast. Mm-hmm. That's probably why I keep forgetting words like podcast. So, um, so yeah, why why all the weeds, dude? Why why you know? Man, you've been asking all the right, all the questions I've been like both anticipating and most afraid of. Good. Uh, Yeah. Not most afraid of, actually. Why porno and why all the weed, dude? These Um, are the same questions I ask about myself (laughs) on a very regular basis. That's incredible. Um, You know, I think, like I mentioned, with actually, it's kind of similar to the how I answer the porno question. I think uh, when you're, you know, when you're, when your life kind of gets upended and you kind of get slapped in the face with it and how sudden it is and um, traumatic it is, it's kind of like a, it kind of takes over your body in like a weird way without you kind of suspecting. So although your body kind of moves automatically, it does kind of take over. Um, I think sometimes very similar to kind of the phase that I went through in real life, um, you know, you succumb to a lot of, um, different phases of consciousness and um yeah cores definitely smokes a lot of weed to kind of distance herself from what happened and um i was worried about like the the sheer amount of it but i think actually one time i queried an agent about this book um and (laughs) they were actually really close to taking the book um but in their very kind notes about why they didn't and then what things I can possibly, um, or notes they had for me, they were essentially like, well, there's a lot of weed in this book. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> what a cough. <laughs> but then um, you want to cough while reading? That's amazing. Oh, no, so I said, what, what a cough. Yeah, what but, a uh, <laughs> No, I was a, I, it was a good moment for me. Are they DEA agents? <laughs> what a cop. But I was a... Uh, I wanted to keep, I don't know, authentic to that. I think when people get lost in that way, when they spiral in that way, the quantity isn't something they're embarrassed about. Um, it's just something they're really not embarrassed by anything. Or I think there's something that they're trying to get away from. And, um, yeah, I think uh, she was definitely uh, needing it. And I think that's part of the book is kind of figuring out how she can kind of survive and that was one of her methods unfortunately or fortunately however you team it fortunately um (laughs) so yeah it so the book's out by from uh soft skull press and Mm -hmm. it's coming out on march 5th so it's tuesday Mm -hmm. of a week after next yep so and yep uh it gets my recommendation i really digged it and it's got a great looking cover too that's a really nice yeah. looking cover gorgeous cover mm-hmm. yeah uh soft skull have been just knocking it out of the park with their covers they've been picking yeah, great they've books they've been fantastic to work books. with a dream yeah and yeah they're yeah liking the liking their output lately a lot so um yeah people at home do go and check this out um and do the uh king of joy weed smoking challenge <laughs> wow yeah it's, it's the it's the hot trend all the teens are doing nowadays. <laughs> Record yourself on TikTok doing the reading the book aloud and smoking weed every time the character in this smokes weed. But be responsible. Uh, 
and stay no. hydrated. Don't be responsible, kids. You only live be once. responsible. Listen to metal, stay hydrated, but be responsible. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of listening to metal, uh, gonna play uh, Violet Cold, uh, dude from Azerbaijan, allegedly. Uh, it's a one-man band. He's put out, let me see, forty-five albums since twenty fifteen. Guy, guy's prolific, um, and a bunch of those albums have been like full-length major pieces, like uh, Anime, which came out last year, was also put out by friend of the show uh, Tridoid Records, and. This new one is full full on album called Cosmic, spelt with a K and a capital O and a K at the end, which is kind of lame, but you know whatever. Uh, but the album sounds really good, um, so it's it's black gaze for fans of you know Death Heaven, Boston Egg, people like that. But um, it's also got these weird electronica elements that sound like nineties trance music. It's a uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a solo project. Dude is definitely his own influences on here. So um, do check that out. It's on Bandcamp now. It's full thing. It's uh, you can buy it for six dollars and sixty six cents. And stop doing that. It's really lame, honestly. <laughs> and and is even worse with Stoner Bands do it do it at four twenty because you know. <laughs> It's not only you're being lame, you're also like depriving yourself of like a dollar fifty on that. So just 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 price things at five dollars, it's fine. But so yeah, uh, come back next week because we're going to be talking about uh, Black Leopard, Red Wolf. I think I got that correct this time. Um, oh, awesome! I'm reading that right now. I know it's so good, isn't it? I, I, it is so fucking good. Um, yeah, it's amazing, and. Um, but uh, if you have some time, uh, re- do read King of Joy as well, because I know everyone's going to be like six hundred pages into uh, Red Leopard. But uh, <laughs> do make time for King of Joy; it's a nice. Thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate this. I appreciate yeah. you. Oh no problem. I appreciate me too. I'm pretty great. Yeah. Good guy. I would agree. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and thank- thanks for writing the- a really fun book that I enjoyed. And for agreeing to be on this show. Yeah. And um, yeah, we'll play out with Violet Cold.